Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day to the fathers in the room. As we thank you, somebody who wished me happy Father's Day. I appreciate that. As we, we move forward in this, uh, this series, certainly today uh, we look at following the leader falls perfectly in line with the content and the direction for this holiday and the recognition of what that video just stated, which is this understanding that we, no matter where we're at, whether you're a father in the room or a mother or an aunt, an uncle, whatever position, whatever role you have, you have the opportunity to lead others. And in, in leading others, we do so uh, only by first leading ourselves and recognizing where we come from. We're going to pick up where we left off from last week. We started a new series where we're talking about guides and helps to holy living. And I need to preface it with this. These are not things that we do to earn our salvation or things that we do to attempt to try to glorify God and get him to, to like us more. Instead, they are outcomes from our relationship with him. In many cases, spiritual disciplines that we do to open up channels to be able to grow in our relationship with our God. And so as we look at these and as we embrace them together, may we be reminded that God has given us opportunity through our actions, our words, and even the influence we have to glorify him and to embrace him in a deeper way. So for the fathers in the room, this is an opportunity to recognize God's call in your life. But more upon that, it's also for anyone here to see what it looks like to embrace a heavenly response, not a worldly response to the leading in our lives. An excerpt from last week's uh, intro uh, goes like this. I'm just going to read these few sentences. From the church's beginning in the New Testament age, it's been understood that such identification involves putting off the old pattern and con of conduct and putting on the mind of Christ. In maintaining this Christian concept of a transformed life, we wish to relate timeless biblical principles to the condition of contemporary society in such a way as to respect the integrity of the individual believer, yet maintain the purity of the church and the effectiveness of its witness. This is done in the conviction that there is validity in the concept of collective Christian conscience as illustrated and guided by the Holy Spirit. And all of that comes to this main core. The leader in all aspects, the leader in understanding Christ, the leader in allowing us to even embrace Christ is the Holy Spirit. In fact, the first point is this. The Holy Spirit is the leader, the one who leads all, the one who guides all, the one who gives grace before grace. And what that means is he gives us the grace to be able to understand God even while we are still sinners or while we are separated. Before we, are, we come to a, a faith in God, we receive his grace. A couple weeks ago, you'll remember that uh, uh, Pastor um, Meeks was here and he spoke about this idea or this recognition that the Holy Spirit is actually the preacher. I believe that wholeheartedly. I give a message and I, I attempt to be his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece in this situation, but he is actually the preacher. He is the song leader. He is the one that leads us in all aspects and all ways. You know, specifically, Paul writes in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 11, verse 1. Very simple. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 
And that statement is a call to all believers, all who call upon the name of Jesus, all who are followers of Jesus, to recognize that as we follow Christ, in whatever fashion we do, in whatever gospel we choose to follow, and if you remember several weeks ago, we talked about the different gospels. There are false gospels, and there is a true gospel, but whatever we follow is going to be what others see, specifically those who maybe are under our care. They see that, they witness that, and then they emulate that as well. And so when we take on this one verse, or we take on this one truth that Paul calls us all to, may we recognize that God is calling us to be his example for him in every way. In this series, we look at five categories. We're looking at how we act towards God, how we respond towards self, towards family, towards church, and towards others. And we're doing the second of towards God today, and it goes like this. Seek only the leading of the Holy Spirit and abstain. This is a, this is a both and. This is not an either or. And abstain from all forms of spiritism, such as the occult, of witchcraft, astrology, and other similar practices. On this Father's Day, we embrace the source by which all leadership should generate, the Holy Spirit. Follow the leader, as today's sermon recommends, or today's sermon points or challenges to, is this seeking of the leading of the Holy Spirit, which isn't always an easy thing, particularly for people who, uh, within the context of the church, may see all these different uh, uh, preachers or spiritual leaders or people that have different uh, aspects, different ministries, different ways of going about it, not to say that any are wrong, they're just different. And so we look at that and we say, how do I fit? How do I get in? What do I do? How do I contribute to the kingdom? Specifically, as we look at following the Word or following the Holy Spirit, there's many places in the Word where it demonstrates what it means, what it looks like to follow God. We're going to look specifically in Deuteronomy. In fact, if you saw that or if you watched the video, you saw that first passage shared specifically about what it means to give all, give our, of, of, of everything that we are, follow God with all, all that we are. And this one specifically gives more of a tangible, practical understanding of how to live that out. At this point in the, in the passage, uh, the, the, the author here, Moses, is sharing these specific principles that have been granted to him to share to the people that he is presiding over. And for us as believers, there are universal principles at play that we can also embrace. And so we're going to read today from Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting in verse 9. We'll read a few verses, and then we're going to come back and see what we can pull from this. Starting in verse 9, it says, When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practice deviation or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord because of these same detestable practices. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. Then in verse 14, it says, The nations you will dispo dispose, listen, dispossess, the, listen to those who practice sorcery or deviate, deviate, deviation. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. 
And so just kind of briefly looking at this text, a few things to recognize. The original audience were the Israelite people, and they were coming into this new land. And as they were entering this new land, God was giving instruction for them to recognize there are people that live differently in the land you are going into. They have different values, different principles. They have a different way of living. And as you step in, their way is not appropriate. It doesn't follow the will of God. And so God's instruction to them is not to crush their freedoms or their desire to do things, but it's to instruct them to see there, are, there is a right way and there is a wrong way in life. As they entered the land, it's somewhat akin to our understanding as followers of Jesus or Christ followers that as we step into this relationship, this holy posture, this humbling posture of becoming more like God or coming to know God, receiving Christ through salvation, it's the same in some respects as they were stepping into this land for they were being made new. They were coming into a new light, a new day, a new season. And so as we step into deeper relationship with God, God gives us this instruction to realize that we don't live like the world. So in short, the passage is instruction for those who currently are or intend to follow Christ. What does it look like for you and I to follow Christ in our day? And so we're going to look at the passage in more intent uh, detail, starting in verse 9. We're going to reread. It says, when you enter the land, the Lord your God has given you. So when you make this first step, when you take this step into this new holy place, do not learn to imitate the detestable way of the nation there. Do not live like the world. God calls his followers disciples. He calls his followers disciples to live, to follow him, not to live like the world. And what does this mean? It means that we're not always going to have it easy. It means that it's not always going to be easy. If you're a father, you know sometimes making the right decision or stepping forward in a a way that it's, it's best for the family, best for your children is much more difficult sometimes. There's a lot more difficulty involved because of the fact that you have to step against or move against the stream. If you've seen the, the, the Chosen series, the opening credits illustrate this perfectly. There's all these fish traveling in one direction. And then throughout the opening credits of the, of the show, all of a sudden fish will turn the opposite direction here and there. Just a few here and there, and they'll go the other way as if to follow Christ. And in that point, they're swimming against the current and against the rest of the school, the other people, the society, so to speak. Well, that's what God calls us to do, to stand up in the face of adversity, to stand up in the face of a world that would, would, would submit to or, or would engage in the specific practices that we already began to unfold to read. But I will tell you, sometimes we need a little help. You probably recognize this. It's hard to go it alone. It's hard to do it on your own. And so dads, we go back to this verse once again, 1 Corinthians 11:1. 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And see, Paul knew this all too well because Paul had several different types of relationships. He had peer relationships, people that he interacted with that were his peers. They were following together. He had people that he mentored, people that were, that were uh, further behind than him, so to speak, in life and in, and in their spiritual walk, and he taught them. But he also had mentors that he stepped into and that he, he recognized they knew more than him. They could help him. They could direct him. They could be that example that follows Christ that he follows as well. And so the point is this, the call of the disciples disciple is to follow the Holy Spirit. To follow the Holy Spirit, maybe that we see in others, perhaps it's what we see through or read through the Word, maybe it's what we experience as we engage in corporate worship or through service or through giving, but we follow the Holy Spirit. And it may be witnessed through the conduct of another, but by sure it has to be through and as a result of the example of God. 
It's probably right for me to assume that, that, that most who desire to be a Christian also desire to follow his will. If not, really not a desire to be a Christian. Instead, your desire is for something else entirely. In the same way, it's said that the important next step is defining what God desires. And so we, if we are to understand how to follow God, we must first understand what his desire is for our life, where he's desiring for us to go. And then as we continue in the passage, Moses is pointing out these specifics as he's calling the, 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 the people to do specific things and not to do other things. In fact, verse 10 says, Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices deviation, divination or sorcery, who interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is, who is a medium or spiritist or consults the dead. He's realizing that these practices are commonplace in the society to which the people are about to move into. And he's saying, look, these things are not right. These things are, are not of God. These things are the opposite of what God has for us. And in some ways, we look at that and we say, well, I don't necessarily think that I'm going to have any trouble, uh, you know, reading between this and that. Well, I can tell you there have been many places in just our culture where these types of things have crept in. And I'll even say this, the root of them, the root of them is the most important because I would imagine most of us in here aren't casting spells on Saturday and then showing up uh, to church on Sunday. But what I will say is the root of them all comes to the point of understanding to not put others, other things, other powers before God. In fact, it may sound familiar, put no other gods before me. And what Moses is illustrating here for these people and for us alike is to recognize that God is first. God is the ultimate king. God is in all. He works through all. He is the one that we come to. The rest of these things are simply acts of flesh. There are things that are part of this world. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, it reads like this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, uh, ideology, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfishness, ambition, selfish ambition, dissension, and factions. You see, they put these specifics together. And I'm sure if we were today in 2023 to say, okay, in our society, there are specific things that we would consider acts of the flesh. It wouldn't take a, a lot of time for us to come together and make a list of the specifics that we say, you know what, these, these things, these are acts of the flesh that draw us away from recognizing the power of God, the supremacy of God, the authority of God. And instead, we focus on the things of man, the things of creation that so often fall short. The reality, though, is at some point when we read these, most of us in this room, as we shared this list, ex probably express affirmation for these types of activities that, were, that they don't define a Christian, right? Those that we live here, we recognize that they, 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 they set apart, they're set apart from those that call themselves disciples. Yet Moses thinks it's necessary to explain them and to share them. And the question that we might have is why? why? Why explain these specifics? Why explain these practical things? It's not just a point of practicality. It's, an, it's basically, it is a, a warning for the eventual finish line. How many in here have ever run a race before? Anybody? Okay. In a race, if you've never run one before, there's a starting line, there's the middle, which is the hard part usually, and then there's the ending. 
I would say that if we were going to use this as a metaphor, that the things that are listed here by Moses, these very extreme things, sacrificing children, going to mediums, casting spells, all of these things are somewhere near the finish line. And if you've run a race before, you recognize that at the start, you may have energy, you may be ready to go, you're kind of keyed up, and you get going, you're taking steps along the way, and things change within you, right? Things seem okay all of a sudden that maybe didn't before, like, hey, I'm just going to lay down and take a nap right now. You would have never thought of that at the starting line because the, the, the goal was to get to the finish. But as you move through that, things change. Things begin to seem uh, different. Things change within the context of, of, of whatever is in your mind, whatever's in your heart, whatever energy you have until the finish line that you get to. And specifically in this, if we look at these items as the finish line, we recognize that in the start, there may be other things that played a part in that. Maybe just a small little compromise, Maybe just a little lie or, or something that we do to begin with. We didn't intend for it to lead to these practices at the end, but we allowed something to, to, to divide, something to fracture, some, just a, a small gossip or, or just, a, just a little bit of slander, if either of those things, that seemed like an oxymoron to me, but if those things are able to even exist. And, and we, we start in this little place, and as we go through the journey, we find ourselves in this place with these extremes, and Moses recognized if they just compromise, if these people just compromise a little, they're going to find themselves way over here, far from God. Perhaps it's best summarized by the instructions of recognizing that when you put, maybe you've been here before, when you put a, a frog in, I've never boiled a frog, maybe you have. If you have, okay, great job. But it, it, <laughs> if you put a frog in boiling water, it's going to jump out, right? Moses knows this, this prospect or knows this concept. But if you put a frog in just lukewarm water and you heat it up a little bit at a time, it's not going to realize that it's getting cooked. Well, the same thing is true in this principle. Moses recognized the fact that, hey, there are some real things that you could easily fall into if you just compromise a little bit here and there. And I'm trying to warn you, I'm trying to show you that these baby steps are going to take you to a finish line that's not honoring to God. And so the instructions of the practice is almost or perhaps even more about the leader and who the leader is rather than the practices alone. And the point is this, the call of the disciple is to eliminate these distractions, to eliminate distractions that divert us from following the Holy Spirit. There are distractions every single day that we embrace, things that happen in our lives that we embrace that keep us from experiencing or following the Holy Spirit. I think one of the reasons for this is because we, we don't, intentionally and consistently engage in objective and honest self-reflection. We don't sit down and allow ourselves to turn off the noise because we lived in a plugged-in life. We, we don't allow ourselves the time and the space to be able to just, the capacity just to let the Spirit just speak to us and allow us to see places in our life that He may want us to hand over, places in our life that He may want to pour over His grace, pour over His blessing in us. And so what happens is we find ourselves in a place where we're either not reflecting at all or we do reflect, but in that reflection, we're, we're kind of putting our, ourselves in a place where we're the hero and whatever else happened, you know, after a conflict, you think about the conversation, like, well, I was right and that person was wrong in, in this and so I'm okay. And you kind of play it up in a way where that reflection was great, but you didn't really allow the spirit to speak. You did all the talking. And this includes a recognition of truly eliminating the distractions, eliminating the things, eliminating the, the, the small baby steps that bring us to the place where Moses was warning and simply handing it over to God. 
And so two rhetorical questions, perhaps. The first one is this, who is your leader? Are you led by distractions or is your way distorted by distractions? And the second one is where are they taking you? Where is the leader that you're following taking you today? Is your leader TV? Is your leader a hold on a grudge? Is your leader a worldly mentor or Hollywood? Is your leader bitterness? An influencer on social media? Is it fear? Is your leader the pursuit of greatness or media, social media followers? Is your, is your, is your, is your leader just a peer or a person that you desire to impress? Leviticus 19.31 says, Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, you, for you will be defiled by them. And then it states this, clearly coming back specifically to the authority, I am the Lord your God. And in those words, God puts everything into the place it needs to be. Rightly aligned to recognize, don't do all these things because I'm God. And if we truly lived and understood that God is God, we would, we, we would in every aspect, in every way, we would be different. We would live different. The world would be different. Verse 12 reads like this, anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Because of these same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. And so what he's saying is, look, the people that were there, they had their chance, but because they're practicing this, God is, he's, they are detestable to him, and God is driving them out and allowing you, the people of God, to be able to experience and to, and to be part of his recon reconciliation, to experience him in a greater way. I think it's profound here to see this. It says anyone who does these things is detestable to God. The people, the doers are the ones that are detestable, not the, even the actions. You know, there's six things that God hates. Proverbs records this. I'm going to speak plainly for just a moment. There's six things that God hates. And church, let me just say, if, if God hates these things, we probably should too. Think about that. If, if, if God hates something, we should probably hate it too. We shouldn't be practicing it. We shouldn't be thinking about it. We shouldn't even be dabbling in it. Th listen to these things. This is from Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 and 18. It says, through 16 through 19, excuse me, it says this. There are six things that, that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. The first one is haughty eyes, meaning arrogant or proud, stuck up, self-serving eyes. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. God hates a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil. God hates a false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I know that you catch more flies with honey, but let me just, if I'm going to speak plainly about this, let me just say, church, we shouldn't practice these things if God hates them. We shouldn't embrace these types of things or allow them to exist even in our midst if God hates them. Lying, hands that shed innocent blood, divisiveness, stirring up conflict and community, gossip and slander. Sometimes I feel like we almost think it's okay. Like, well, we're, we're, we're just bringing this up because it's an important note, so we want to make sure everybody knows what's happening here. Sometimes I think we bring it up and we think, well, it's a, it's a prayer request. Let me just bring this up. Have you ever been to a prayer meeting before where you did all the talking and then at the end you're like, oh, we better close in prayer because we didn't really do any praying. I'm the only one. Okay, that's good. Can I just say, when you get a call from a person and that person calls you and they're only calling you and they call you from time to time, they only call you when they want to gossip a little bit. 
Or maybe when that person pulls you aside here or they see you at the grocery and they pull you aside and say, I want to talk a little bit. And that church person reaches out to you with church gospel, church complaints, or even church prayer requests, so to speak. Can I just say that the call that God gives us on these things that he hates is to crush it. To say, I'm not going to entertain that. I'm not going to embrace this. And the question is, why do we do that? Because God hates it. And God hates it because he knows that it's bad for his church. God knows that those types of things are poison for his church, destroy his church, tear his church down. And he doesn't want that to happen because he loves it. He loves us. He loves you and I as the, as the bride of Christ. He wants each of us to understand, to know him, and to glorify him. And he recognizes at the same time that these six or seven things that are embraced here in Proverbs, these specific things are things that Satan uses time and time again to tear you and I down and to tear you and I apart. I just said a moment about this church person thing, and I've been thinking more and more about church people. Our district superintendent says often on his tombstone, he's going to write, he loved Jesus, he wants him to write, he loved Jesus, but church people killed him. <laughs> I, sometimes I think ditto, right? I'm starting to believe that the church person is almost the enemy of the Christ follower. Now, don't get me wrong. When I define church person, it doesn't mean person that comes to church. It means somebody who embraces these specific things under the umbrella of saying, well, I'm a church person. I go to church or I, I, I'm a member at a church. Well, that's great that you're a member, but do you follow Christ? If your toes are hurting, I apologize, but I, I call for us right now as, as one of the leaders of this church, as the one that God has placed in this position right now for us to turn our back, to step away, to crush these things that the Satan is attempting to try to use to divide and, and devise a, a, a plan to destroy our church. Let's crush them. Let's crush gossip. Let's crush slander. Let's talk to the people we need to talk to in the way that we need to in proper and Christ-like conflict. And let's allow God to reign supreme. God calls our minds instead to conversations, to thoughts, to things that he loves. In Philippians 4, 8, it reads like this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Perhaps you've been in the presence of somebody who just, it's just pouring, it's just flowing out of them, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Man, it's inspiring. That's the kind of person that I want to follow as they follow Christ. And then verse 13, simply put, simply put, verse 13, you must be blameless before the Lord your God. You must be blameless. To define the word blameless, it means innocent or righteous, faultless, virtuous. As, as an adjective, it's free from or not deserving blame. It's guiltless. Blame itself as a verb means to hold responsible, find fault with, censure, you know, a, a result or a, a sentence, using a sentence might say, I don't blame you for X, Y, or Z, to place the responsibility for a fault or an error. You see, we all sin in, in different ways from time to time. Instead, Paul says, may you be kept blameless, specifically the same way that Moses says it here. Well, what does this mean? To blame means to find fault. 
to fault with an offense or to fix responsibility. But here's the reality. When God recognizes that we are blameless, he doesn't just leave us. He doesn't just say, I'm done with you. I've given you enough chances. You're over with. Instead, he recognizes that he calls us to the opportunity to be able to experience him. In Acts chapter 19, verse 18 and 19, it reads like this. Many of those who believe now came and openly confessed what they had done. When we are in blame, maybe even now you're sitting here, you're thinking, you know what? I, I can't shake what, what the Spirit just placed on my heart. I, I have been slanderous towards my brother or sister. What God calls us to is to confess that to him and to others. A number, in verse 19, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 dematra. Now, think about this for just a second. Think about this for just a second. This was the most expensive thing. This was the most valued thing in their society. This was essentially, one of these coins was worth one day's wage. And so if it's 50,000, that's 137 years worth of wages. And they quite literally came forward and said, no matter what this is worth, no matter what the world values this at, I'm going to put it at the feet of God because he is priceless. They sacrificed what the world found most precious, what the world valued. And the point is this, the call for the disciple is to be holy in his sight, no matter the cost. The call for the disciple is to be holy in his sight. It takes humility. It takes swallowing our pride, but the call is to step forward and however God calls us to do so in whatever way he calls us to do so. As the passage concludes in verse 14, it says, the nations you will have, you will have, will dispose, listen to those who practice sorcery or deviation. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. Maybe you've heard a child or maybe you yourself have said, but they get to do it, right? Why do they get to do this? Why, why can't I do what they're doing? This verse alone leads one to recognize to all readers, to all followers of Christ, to recognize the dissonance between God way, God's ways and our ways. His ways are different. His ways are mysterious. His ways are in his time. Our journey oftentimes may not look exactly like we want, but he will redeem those things in his time. And sometimes the leaders in our lives don't specifically live up to the standard that God might put or that God might desire for them. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place where like, you know what? I had a dad, but my, this Father's Day isn't really exciting for me because my dad, he didn't live in a way that was, that was full of humility, full of love. He didn't live in a way that honored God. And so therefore, I got the brunt of that, so to speak. Or maybe you didn't even get to meet your father. Maybe any number of reasons, but this isn't necessarily a day where you truly experience and love to celebrate a dad or the dads in your life. And so where do we turn? What do we do? I recognize probably just like you do that sometimes God works in ways that we may not understand. I was having a conversation with somebody this week and as I engaged with them, they were talking more and more about the, 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 the role that their father had in their life and how God brought forth a, a new day in the midst of the storm that they walked through. And so I'm going to ask Joe Robinson to come and he's going to share for a few moments as we come to a close on this service about his experience about how God has moved, led, and guided him. So would you show your appreciation and welcome him to the platform? Good morning, church. As Pastor Steve mentioned, my name is Joe Robinson. For those of you who don't know me, I'll give you a, a brief background on me and my story of salvation as it pertains to the testimony I want to give today. I grew up 
uh, not really thinking much about God. Uh, didn't think that God wasn't there. I just didn't really care, to be honest with you. But about 20 years old, I was working in the coal mines in Meigs County as a security guard while I was going to college. And one of the men that I worked with there, his name was Ray, really nice guy. We got along great. And I came into work one night, and I noticed his truck wasn't there. And I uh, walked in to relieve the, on the, the guard that was previously working, and he told me that Ray had passed away at home earlier that day. And it affected me a bit. And through that night, I was led to open a desk drawer in the, in the security shack. And in that, there were some Bible tracts and a Gideon's Bible. And reading through those tracts and then reading the gospel, in that moment, I realized God was real, Christ is real. And then I accepted Jesus into my heart there alone in a guard shack in the middle of Meigs County at 20 years old. And I had nowhere to go. I had no direction. I, I didn't know what to think. I knew it was real. And I felt it. The spirit was moving in me. But I didn't have anybody to talk to about it, really. But God, as you know, works in his ways. And a short while later at school, I met this young brown-haired lady that would eventually become my wife now for five years. But through her, I was provided fatherly figures. My wife's grandfather was a man named Lowell Cole. Some of you might know who Mr. Cole was. And some of you might even know who his grandfather, his father was, Holly's great-grandfather, Everett Cole. He was one of the founding members of the original church here in this community. And Lowell brought me to my first church service at Christ Community Wesleyan when it was on Carpenter Street in Athens. And I met this fellow by the name of Denver Dodrell, who would later go on to counsel Holly and I and marry us and actually dedicate our daughter, Becca, right here on this stage. So God had opened up some doorways for father figures in my life. And it's a good thing because my earthly father simply was not. Um, around the age of 12, my father had committed multiple affairs and my parents got divorced. And as you know, 12 years of age, 13 years of age, pretty formidable years for a young man. And, you know, I, I held a lot of resentment and a lot of anger for him. And he kind of did the thing that divorced dads sort of do in the beginning of a new relationship. And that's to parade the kids around to the new girlfriend to sort of demonstrate, hey, I'm a, I'm a great guy. I'm a great dad. Well, that's short-lived. And I ended up being that kid, you know, who sat on the front porch waiting for a dad to show up who never did. So as I grew into adulthood, this anger and resentment that I held from my father affected my relationships with others, my friends, family, girlfriends, you know, and, and I, I just was lost. I didn't really have any direction, but I also used it as an excuse or a crutch for my bad behaviors, you know, to justify my sins because, you know, the whole woe is me. I had a bad dad or no dad, blah, 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 right? Well, when you become a believer and then you start to grow in your faith and that Holy Spirit begins to move in you, things happen and you transform a little bit. And I came to the realization that I had this deep father wound. And some of you out there today might have it. You know, you, you might have feelings of resentment and bitterness towards your dad um, for things that they did or did not do in your life. And my father did some, some heinous things. I mean, for example, I was 21 at this time and had moved away from here uh, to Akron to marry Holly. And 
in my first apartment, and this is sort of going to age me a little bit, my answering machine was full of messages from creditors and bill collectors who threatened to shut off this and that because my father had used my social security number back then to set up accounts all over southern Ohio and Kentucky and destroyed my credit before I even had a chance. And as you can imagine, this was not great news for a, a bride-to-be as well. I was not thrilled. So that just further added to the fuel of anger and resentment I had for my dad. And, you know, a couple years later, I became a father. And I was terrified. You know, am I going to be the good dad that my daughter needs? Am I going to screw up and follow in the steps of my own earthly father? Well, no, that wasn't the case because God had provided me examples in Holly's grandfather, Lowell, and in my father-in-law, Jerry, who provided me with a platform and an avenue through Christ on how to be a dad. You know, I say a lot of things. My, my earthly father showed me how not to be a father. Uh, so I use that as a, as a way of going through my life as a dad and how I can be, become a better one. And I'm going to pull up my notes here for a second because I know I missed something. But, um, yeah, so I came to Colossians 3.13. And, you know, it's pretty clear that God wants us to forgive others because he's forgave us. And in the moment that I made that decision that I'm going to forgive my dad, there was such a weight pulled off of me. Just just like almost like having a poison pulled out of my body. And I began to see a lot of truths and made some changes in my life, positive changes. But I was free of that burden because the enemy just wants to keep drowning you in it repeatedly over and over again. And I think as men, we make the mistake that we're going to do this alone. You know, I'm okay. You know, I'll be fine. But you're not. You know, that toxicity festers and it spreads like a cancer in your life, all aspects of your life. But when you let it go and you take it to the cross and you go to your heavenly father and you forgive this person who's done you wrong, I'm telling you folks, you open up avenues you can't even begin to imagine. There is freedom in healing. And I'm telling you, the world needs godly men right now more than ever, okay? You don't even have to leave this building today. You can pull up your phones and, and look on social media and, and see the direction that our, our country is going in and our youth is going in. So it's a call today for men to fix it. You know, forgive those who might have hurt you. Don't let that justify your behavior. Don't let that transform you into something you're not destined to be because your heavenly father has a plan for you and a place for you as a dad. So I'm going to ask you on this Father's Day, if you're this person, take it to the cross, go to God and ask him to forgive you and to forgive those who hurt you, whether it's your father or a father figure or what the situation might be. And, you know, this is something I'm saying you have to do in person or even over the phone because your situation like mine may be one of those things where the things that happen to you, you just can't do it in person for a variety of reasons. So... I'm going to give it back over to Steve for a minute, but I just want to say this. You're not alone. You have a heavenly father who will help you. You also have men in your church, leadership in your church, and other men in your community that you need to bond together. Men need to come together now, and this is the day to do it on Father's Day. And you need to take it to the cross, let it go, and begin to heal. That's all I have. Thank you so much for your time. Happy Father's Day. As we close the service, uh, certainly thank you, Joe, for that um, 
that testimony as we look specifically at a day where some celebrate but others don't. But in all of it, we can come together. In all of it, we can embrace God's goodness. We can embrace his example. We can embrace his presence. So I'm going to close with these questions. Specifically, they're on your bulletin notes. If you have that, I, I encourage you, if you haven't done it already, to take some time today, this week, to sit down and to truly reflect upon your response. Who's your leader? Where are they taking you? And at the same time, who are you leading? And if you're leading someone, where are you taking them? As we close in prayer, I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. I want to ask for a response if you are so willing. As we've walked through this sermon today and as we walk through this, this passage, we recognize many different things that God is embracing, many different things that he wants to bring forth in his church. And so I'm going to ask you today, if God is leading, if God is calling you, if the Spirit is working on your heart today, that as I express something, maybe if, it, if it's something you want to respond to, that you just stand in your seat. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. You can if you would like to, but I want you to stand in your seat before we pray. First thing is this. If you want to follow Jesus, perhaps you're a church person, perhaps you've never been to church before, but you're not a Christ follower. If you want to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you just to stand in your seat right now. If you want the Holy Spirit to lead you, to guide you, to fill you, just stand where you're at. If you're here right now and you want to give something over to God, perhaps you're holding on to bitterness or, or you're holding on to uh, whatever it might be that, that has caused you to, to be um, selfish or to, to keep you from, from following whatever is distorting your way and you want to just give it to God today, I want to encourage you to stand. I want to encourage you to stand today, particularly this might even be for fathers. I want you to stand today if you today want to emulate Paul's words, and you want to be one who follows Christ so that others might be able to see his example. If you're in here right now and you've got kids or grandkids or nephews and nieces, and you've got someone in your life that you just want to show them what a physical example looks like to, to follow Christ, I want you to just to stand right now, maybe to affirm what you're already doing or maybe to reaffirm for the first, or to affirm for the first time. See, I recognize this, that God uses his word in many different ways. And perhaps you've been there before, that it sounds like, oh, this is specifically for me, this or that, whatever it might be. If God's calling you for something specific, maybe something I didn't even mention, you want to step forward and just say, yes, Lord, send me. Yes, I respond. Yes, I hear you and I will move. I want to encourage you to stand as well. God, we come to you in this moment and we recognize the fact that your word, so that was, though that was written so long ago, is still so active. That your spirit is still moving. Your spirit is still at work. And God, you choose to call us as men and women, as, as your church body, as your bride, to step forward and be your hands and feet, be your mouthpiece. And that's only made possible when we submit fully to you. And so, God, I pray right now, specifically in this place, that our heart's desire, everything that we are, would be a reflection of you, that we would grow deeper in our faith in you, God, that our relationship with you would grow stronger in every aspect, with every day, with every trial, with every celebration. God, I pray that we would have the courage 
Just like Joe said, to, to lay down the bitterness, to lay down the things that are causing us to, to be separated from others and to be separated from you. God, I pray that we would recognize in ourselves and in our interactions with others when we are embracing or we are even allowing one of those things that you literally hate to fester, to exist in our presence or in our church. We come to you now on this Father's Day, not just for fathers, but for all people. And we recognize the high call, the, the high mantle, the high authority that it is for us to step forward as your ambassadors, as, as your people, God, to step forward, to reveal to the world what it looks like to live set apart, what it looks like to be holy, what it looks like to be made new so that others might embrace the same. God, we thank you for the celebration of this day. We ask, God, that in all aspects, in all ways, that you would reveal yourself to us, that we could embrace you from this day forward, God, that we could recognize your goodness, your presence, your call, and the strength that you give to us to embrace these things as well. I thank you for the people that are in this room. I thank you for those that are standing here, maybe even at home, God, that are standing. God, I pray that as they stand, God, that you would wrap your arms around them, bind Satan from any attack he might attempt to try to, to bring upon them, God, but allow them in all aspects and all ways to experience you fresh and anew. In your son's name we pray, and all of us said together, amen. Amen. As you go, be reminded of this, John 14, 26, but the advocate... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, which we know is here now, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. When you go today, you don't leave the Spirit here waiting for you to come back next Sunday. No, the Spirit goes with you. Go with God because He goes with you. You're dismissed. You're sent out. Happy Father's Day. Have a wonderful week. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.